at the moment and Cody Miller in five. Well, once he hits the water, Adam Peaty just flies. The stroke rate is so fast. Fingertipping the world record line at the moment. Let's see where he is at the 50 metre mark. He is below it by eight one hundredths of a second. 26. Hello humans, welcome to the M Word, the Manx Sports Podcast brought to you by Martin, that's me, and Matt, that's him over there, hello Matthew, hi, on Zoom once again, yeah, we continue to be socially distant, yeah, strange one, I miss you like it, miss it, I'm sure Emma doesn't miss me coming around all the time, no she doesn't in fairness, no, you're right, welcome back everyone. First of all, just want a quick shout out to uh, Billboards, our sponsor, as usual, digital advertising. Much appreciate what they do and help us with. So you want to get your name and your brand out there, go and see billboards.im. Uh, I'm squinting away here, actually, because I've managed to extend my cables to actually record over Zoom and in the garden and the sun. So now I've actually started. It's probably not the greatest idea because I'm, I'm squinting away here. Uh, we're joined by Lee Holland anyway, our man swimming. Welcome, Lee. Afternoon, gents. Thanks for your time. Uh, as I always say, most of the starts podcast, we've got loads to dig into, and then two hours later, we're still digging in. Uh, but just for those who heard the clip at the beginning there, that was a clip from the Rio Olympics. Adam Peaty, who I'm sure most of you know, is a fairly decent swimmer, uh, and winning the 100, 100 uh, backstroke. And I think it was a world record, if I remember rightly. So I thought that might just set the scene for Lee, who's, a, who's obviously well-known on the arm for swimming. Uh, but perhaps we go back to the back to the beginning, if that's okay, Lee, and start with the traditional question of you, whether you're a come over Manx, Manx, or Manx is the hills. Uh, I think you can probably tell from my accent <laughs> that I'm not uh, I'm not from around here. But I was I was a come I was a come over nine years ago, and it kind of got out of hand. Do you know what I mean? And we're still here. <laughs> yeah. Well, all the work you do with that with the sports over here, I'm sure uh, you're considered Manx now, anyway, even with that Scouse accent. Uh, some some might say that I'm not sure at all. But so whereabouts in Liverpool were you born? I was uh, I was born in uh, a place called Crosby, and then we moved a little bit up the road to a place called Hightown, which is about halfway between Liverpool and Southport, sort of north. It's the north border of Liverpool before you go into Southport and, and Lancashire. Really, um, I lived there from right through to the age of. 19 when I went to university um, at the same time um, me me nan passed away and I got left some money so I actually spent that money on buying a house in Garston which is South Liverpool yeah. so that's sort of where I lived yeah. and after after me, me me younger years do you know what I mean yeah yeah and those those early years in Liverpool obviously schooling I assume in Liverpool and uh, sport yeah. Inevitably, certainly around that area, well, certainly football, but many sports as part of life, was it, in the early ages? Or early ages? For me, not really. Um, I wasn't a particularly sporty kid. I was, as I was on my way to growing towards the 645 I am now, I had zero uh, coordination. I was very, very uncoordinated I used to play goalpost at school football you know that sort of thing I just I just wasn't wasn't really very good at anything because I, I always put that down to I mean I laugh about it but I always put that down to the fact that I didn't I, my body didn't I didn't know where it was me 
you know, the ball had whizzed past and then my foot would go, do you know what I mean? That sort of thing. I, I was desperate to be one of the cool kids that could play all the sports and all that. But it just what wasn't happens? me in, in me in my early days. So my mum and dad got me into swimming because they said it was the only sport I could do without hurting myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's where and we started. And I should have asked earlier, are you a red or a blue? I'm a red. Oh, that's all right. I thought we might have to end the podcast. We're all red <laughs> here, so we're all family. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, what, what kind of age were you starting to hit the pool? Do you know, I learned to swim when I was quite... I, I learned when I was quite young, but I only started competitively swimming at the age of 40. Um, and that was because I went to like a, a local club and it was more, what I'd say, like a teaching club. They... They were very, very good at, at the skills, the, the technical stuff, but there wasn't really anybody fast there, so there was no one to race against. So I was the best of a really small pond. And right. then actually, it was only when uh, a neighbour of ours lived around the corner said, oh, you should come and swim at Bootle, because they're a bit, a bit better. At this time, I was growing. I was probably, I'd say, 13 at this point, and I was turning into from a little fat kid to quite a quite a long, lean, sort of athletic-looking shape. Um, and within six months, I'd got a trial for City of Liverpool. So it just it just exploded what, through a, a little bit of training, you know? What City of Liverpool is that, like the head region for the area? or Yes, uh, City of Liverpool's the, 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 the city team, if you like. So okay. all of the... You'd have... You know, your Butler North Liverpool, your Crosby Swimming Club, your Liverpool Penguins, all of the, the regional clubs, if you like, feed into City of Liverpool. So that's where the best from each of those clubs come together to train at a, at a, at a serious level. Like I say, to go from joining, joining a, a little, a smaller club to six months later being swimming with City of Liverpool was just, was unheard of. They were like, hold on, this lad's only been swimming. Five minutes, do you know what I mean? And I didn't have any of the skills. You're just naturally good at it? Yeah, I mean, I think I was just long. You know, I was I had size 12, <laughs> size 12 feet when I was 12. Oh, right. Oh, right, right. Um, so I was I was just a big unit, do you know what I mean? It, yeah. Actually, it, it's funny, I tell a story. Me, The coach that I ended up working with, Colin Stripe, he was doing the, the, the trial when I went to the City of Liverpool but he wouldn't be my first coach. He, he was like the head coach. So I walked in, and I walked into this pool, Westminster Road. It was, it was a dingy little Victorian pool. And my dad, who I'm six foot five, and my dad's a good few inches taller than me, makes me look little, ducks his, his head to come through the doorway. And the coach's eyes, and I, I recognise that now, the coach's eyes lit up and he went, I didn't even Hello. need to see you swim. We'll have them. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah, yeah, gonna yeah. be a monster, this kid. And um, yeah, he, he, and he basically said to me, "I can teach you the, I can teach you the skills. You've got all the weapons there." And, and I went from there. And at that stage, were you doing all the kind of strokes? That- do you know when it, when I started, I thought I was going to be a breaststroker um, okay. because it was because it was. I was relatively good at it, but I got a bit of a knee injury, so I, I ended up having to lay off the breaststroke. And then I developed into, with having big feet and, and, and long limbs, the, the butterfly was a, a decent sort of level. My, my butterfly kick was very strong. And, and in them days, you could go as far as you like underwater. All right, all so right. now you're only allowed to go up to 15 metres underwater on the butterfly kick. 
Whereas in them days on the butterfly, you could do a full length, but bar once, one stroke. So I was good at that. And then they brought in the 15 metre rule and then I, cho- I went on to the backstroke and I ended up as a backstroke swimmer. Ah, right, okay. So that 50 metre, is that at the start as well as the turns? Yes, off, yeah. off the dive and off each turn, you're allowed to go up to 50. Your head must have broken the surface by 15 metres. Yeah, why, so why was that brought in? Like, is it, you, is it more beneficial to be under the water for as long as possible then? So everyone was trying to do the full length. Yeah, they were, they were trying to, uh, they, they were, well, on a safety level, I think, because people were going, people, you know, in a, in a 50 Walking metre pool, yeah. people were swimming 45 metres of it underwater, coming up, taking a soak and then going again. And if you look look back far enough on like the YouTube videos and that, you'll see, you'll see swimmers that were literally doing 30 or 40 metres underwater and then coming up into the race, but they put themselves in massive oxygen debts and they, there were people you know, fall and foul on a, on, a, on a health level because it's it's not good for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it gets away from, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, well, you're right, it gets away from us swimming, is it? Too, well, some might argue that if you're underwater, you're swimming, but yeah, it gets away from, it seems to get away from what swimming's about, which is sure. being on the surface of the water, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it takes, takes away from the, um, what, what, what each, it, it, there's no separation in strokes then. Yeah, you're, well, you're not a good backstroker or a good fly swimmer. You're just a good kicker. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you're a diver. That's what you are. Pretty a snorkeler. Much, yeah. yeah, you're a snorkeler. That's what you are. So then, uh, when you then getting into the into the city of Liverpool, and then is that starting to take you to national level? Is it at that time? Yeah, I was I was at City of Liverpool for six months, and then I, then I went to my first. Well, I actually the first year to qualify for British Champs. British Champs used to be in the summer in in like end of July, early August, and the first year that I qualified, you had to wait to qualifying time to do that, but the first year, I'd, we'd actually had a holiday booked, because right. when we booked the holiday 12 months earlier, I wasn't even in the swimming club, so to have gone from there to, yeah. you know, me, me, I jumped out the pool and I was, oh, that was great, I think it was in Northern Counties, it was the last, the last possible chance to get the, the qualifying time to go to the British Champs. And I got out to pool and I was like, oh, well done, fantastic, you know. You can go to nationals. And I went, what's nationals? And they all looked at me like, is he mad? <laughs> he went, what are you joking? I'm next no. week. <laughs> we, we, we were on our way to Yugoslavia. And I went, uh, right. you know, we were there. Uh, I don't know if it was Yugoslavia or Greece or one of them. We used uh, to go there quite a bit. But, um, yeah, so that, that paid. So you didn't go? Did you go on a holiday then? We went on holiday the first year and then I went back the next year and actually made final. And the year after that, I was winning medals. So that, that so age, is that age, is it, in, is it in age categories, the age you were at then? Or is it yes, kind of, yes. Yeah, okay. So the so first year, I would have competed as a 14-year-old, the okay. year after. So the year I went, I was 15, right. and, I, and I, made the, I made the final. But it was the year in then, so I, I sort of a bit more savvy, knew, knew the sport, knew what it all meant. Yeah. And then, like I say, the year after that, we went into the medals. So, yeah, it was, a, it was still a very, very um, quick transition from picking the sport or well, yeah, two and a half years later yeah mm-hmm. yeah that, and I think it, up, it, ups, it upsets a lot of people as well because they, they were the guys that have been in since they were eight nine year old yeah. you know what I mean and, and they're like who's this kid's just just rocked up and and all of a sudden he's he's overtaken people you know that sort of people's noses but sort of set a precedent then do you know what I mean and, and that's that's how I learned and how did, how did you find that like looking back over that first period of getting in the pool, 
and finding out actually you were really this good was it something that drove you or were you just kind of doing it for finding some form of fitness and you know something to do in that sense or was it kind of like from your first going to pool you were like oh this is a passion or something like you know something you'd want to continue yourself or like just looking back how did you kind of reflect and look on that early experience it's funny you know I didn't know I didn't know I was good and I didn't know I, I didn't get you know how different this story was I didn't understand that it was different from any anybody else's story until until you know we, we talk about it now and I talk about it with my athletes and you go actually do you know what I can understand why people weren't so welcoming to me and, and, and those sort of things and one thing I will say is when I, when I first started I was so much bigger than everybody else I was I was six foot, I'm six five now. Six. I was probably six four at the age of like fourteen. Wow. Right. So I was I was enormous in comparison, um, and I and I use this as I, I use this as a lot of the time when I'm telling my athletes, I'll say, do you know what? I was the kid that didn't have to work for it, but I tell you what, it caught me up at about sixteen when everybody else was six foot plus as well, and then I realised shit, I'm gonna have to do some work here. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah, went from. Yeah. Natural talent, you know. You've seen that video with the little rugby player who's about four stone and everything. Everyone else just battering everyone. I was that kid, and then, and then it only came to a point where everybody else started. You know, puberty caught everybody up, and by the time you're sixteen, seventeen, then it becomes about the way, you know. And and I realised, God, I'm going to have to do something here because I've been, I've been floating along so much on natural, natural ability and natural talent sooner or later it's going to hit you and it's, it's a great story for me to tell my athletes now you know those that are either the little ones waiting to grow or the big kids already you know and the 17 18 when when i suppose you're starting to see that level out you you consciously was that something you thought back then as only in hindsight you look back and go oh i uh you know, the people oh no i knew i knew, knew. I knew right. they were catching me uh, well it, it, it became apparent because i thought Oh my God! I'm going to have to do something here because uh-huh. I was—I went from being one or two seconds clear, and then all of a sudden it came—it was coming down to hundreds of seconds. And you're thinking it's not as easy to knock these times down like we used to, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a bit of a shock to the system, really. And in those days, training-wise, were you training twice a day? Because I know that—that's kind of certainly observer of swimming. It certainly is something that used to, I don't know whether it still happens now, people but they used to be trained before, you know, work, college, uni, wherever you're doing, train in the evening. So that's something you were doing back then. Yeah, yeah, we, we train we train twice a day, um four four weekdays a week and then we train one once on the Wednesday and we train once on Saturday morning. All right. Now Was that's that all, all pool work or did you do gym work back then? Uh, a lot of it was pool work, yeah. It was it was majority pool work, but my coach, my, well, the, the coach that I ended up with, ultimately Colin, he was very much about um, very very clever man, and, and uh, very much about doing things differently. He wasn't about just smashing meters into you because that's what everyone else is doing. Because then it become like it become a sponsor to him. It wasn't about who was best; it was who was doing the most meters. So we'd joke and we'd say that like the likes of our, our rivals in like Stockport or Manchester would say, they do more metres in the showers than we do in the pool. 
<laughs> but but actually the just the time spent and we'd spend a lot of time in those energy systems we wouldn't be you know we used to say you know we're not looking for garbage yardage we're not looking for meters for me to see the meters have got to mean something and actually that sort of gave me a real that, that that's how I shaped my coach I mean I know we'll talk about coaching in a minute but that's sort of partially why my coaching has been seen as so much so different from what people have seen before on the Isle of Man because I learned from somebody who wasn't afraid to not do what everyone else is doing yeah, yeah, yeah. and and it was a, it was it was a great time I mean I asked the top squad at Liverpool there was 20 22 swimmers in it and to get in that top squad you had to have a British medal it wasn't even like be at British Championship level. You had to have a medal to get in the top squad. Yeah, right, right. And that, that's unheard of now, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, inc- it was incredible times. And those, quality, those qualities in regard to the swimming, is that, obviously, I guess it's quality, quantity, type mentality. And then a lot of that work also around, I guess, improving the stroke and the technique, because I understand that's a fairly important part of the whole process. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you say, the way the way the way we look at it now, there's a lot of there's a lot of technical parts, a lot of technical little tweaks and stuff you can make to the to the strokes. Um, I'm not a big quantity man. Even even the guys that I coach at, at triathlon and Ironman level, I, I have to pull them back on what they think they should be doing in terms of in terms of meters, because I am a, a firm believer that. All that's doing is, is putting its mileage on your body. Yeah, putting stress on. Yeah, yeah. yeah and unnecessary, unnecessary in, in most cases. You know, if you're going to be doing an eight-hour race and the first hour of it, if you can bring that down to 55 minutes, I mean, we're talking Ironman now, but if you can bring it down to 55 minutes, but that person's going to be absolutely busted. Yeah, or yeah. I can teach you how to still swim for an hour, but do it so much more effectively and come out dead fresh for the bike yeah. that's that's the way you know that's the sort of the, the message that we end up with yeah, trying, yeah. trying to put across you know but uh, back then I mean it, there was there was a lot a, a lot more um, technical in what we were doing at Liverpool as opposed to the other the other programmes they were very much about it's got to be 7,000 metres a session and they were doing oh, nice. they would do every session they'd do every day they'd do two sessions Right. So we we were we were starting out of this quality not quantity, and now you look and and that was that would still have been seen as quite a lot yeah, compared yeah, yeah. to what what we do on the Isle of Man. Right, right. So then you when you said you compete at national level, how what you know talk us through some of those results and how they how they were and how it was hey, well, you know, representing yeah. the city of Liverpool as well. I mean that was that was a that was an extremely proud time to, to, to be part of the City of Liverpool team you know that was I thought I'd made it when I got my City of Liverpool jersey in fact it's probably still in my mum and dad's house now you know that, that first that first City of Liverpool tracksuit God I remember that I remember that tracksuit <laughs> sounds unusual <laughs> honestly that that still puts airs up on the back of my neck oh, thinking about the day I got given that tracksuit and I was listening to your, um, your interview with um uh, with, with, 
sorry. My eyes have gone blank there. Um, with Mark Robinson. Yeah, yeah. He talk, and he was talking about the um, talking about that that jersey thing. I was yeah, listening yeah. to that. Passing on the All Blacks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and I know it's 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 not the same thing, but I totally understand that idea of that pride and actually getting there. Almost the almost that putting that tax on that first time was just was just amazing. But from there we went we went on, and then like I say, I, I swam, uh, became national champion. Um, right. We had some real good. At what? We had some light swim and, and length and light distance. Yeah. Sorry, two two hundred meters backstroke was my right. event. Right. Um, uh, we had three lads in Liverpool and District that were actually the top three in Britain between us. So I remember one year there was the, the three of us one came one two and three at Liverpool and District Lancashire Championships, Northwest Championships and the national championship, all in different orders. And it was like hundreds, hundreds of seconds in in, um, in or out of it, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Every time it was one way or the other. But, but like I say, it just, just drove, us, drove us forward. And we were all good mates, but at the same time, it was a really, really positive um, drive. And, you know, you see, you see like the sports on the Isle of Man and you, you see one athlete that's so far in front of everyone else and you can understand why they don't exactly so uh, like you say I got to I got to a point where I was I was representing uh, GB at a junior level I actually represented GB once at a senior level in uh, Chalwa in Belgium um, at the European uh, a European meet um, I remember swimming. I actually swam in the lane next to the world record holder at the time. Right. I can't remember his surname, but he was Romanian. He was called Dragon, right. and, and that that was enough for me. I was like, "Oh my god!" And he was he was about he was he was about seven foot tall as well. He was enormous. This fan. Yeah. Um, what age were you then? I was probably eighteen, right? 19, eighteen and nineteen. Um, the, and to be honest. There was there was a couple of couple of things. I had a couple of injuries. I hurt I hurt my elbow on a on a backstroke finish, hitting the wall too hard. You know, oh, finishing right. finishing on the wall too hard and uh, popped my elbow out. I've had a couple of shoulder things and all those sort of things. And then, like you say, when when I, when I then went on to university, um, I was still competing, but real life had to take over a little bit, yeah. you know. And and I ended up at a place where. I couldn't do I couldn't do everything I was doing with my training and the and the university and I discovered beer and women as well, you know. So it was just the, the natural progression, but I managed to keep keep competing through to the age of like twenty one when I finished university and I was still competing at a high level. I, I held the British record for two hundred metre backstroke for the time. Okay. Um during, during that period um, and then like you say really that was that was the um, where my swimming career had to turn into my co- well it sort of accidentally turned into my coaching career really when I yeah. finished university Was there a period that? there where you had a difficult 
choice or decision on that where you, you kind of maybe wanted to try and go further or as you said did you think okay maybe um those guys are that next step above what I would need to put in to be able to do that and get there or was it a case of yeah I, I can quite happily kind of keep what I'm doing and follow this path that's as you said naturally kind of progressing do you know I didn't I didn't I still don't think I knew where I was going I never thought I was going to be a coach I, I really this was you know you'll laugh when I say this but it, it really was an accident in, in getting into coaching I um, I was competing and I was still I was still dead set on you know I want to go as far as I can Um when I got to I got to university age, I was actually offered a scholarship to go to Denver, uh, Colorado University. Mm-hmm. But they wanted me to go a year earlier than I would have gone to university over here. And I mean, this will sound it, it sounds silly. I could have burnt a pot noodle back then. I, I didn't have a clue. I'd been I was too I was too well looked after. Um, and you know, some people would say, "Oh, listen, you it sounds sounds like he's dead spoiled." And I wasn't spoiled at all, but I had a I had a lot done for me. I'm an only child. Um, my mum and dad did a, did a lot for me at that at that age, and I just wasn't ready to. It's one thing to go to university, and I was I would have been more than happy to have gone to, you know, my, my three choices were Loughborough, Stirling, or Liverpool. Um, you know, and, and I said, I can go to the other end of the country and I can come home in four hours if some, if I need to. Mm. If yeah. I go to Denver, I'm not getting home for a, for a week, you know, yeah. or, or, or days. And that was just that, that little bit too far. But then I look at it now and I go, do you know what? If I'd have made that call, I probably wouldn't have gone into the, the job that I did. I wouldn't have fell on those chances. I know we talk about luck and chance and all those those words. I don't like to talk about luck. I like to think you make your own, um, and and you, you take the chances that, that become available to you. But I look at it, I look back and I go, if I'd have done that, I wouldn't ever have ended up in the job I, I'm in. Probably wouldn't have met my wife. Um, and I think I think do you know what? Even if I'd have gone there and I'd have ended up as a as a top level. You know, made that next step and swam at Olympics and, and 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 that sort of level. At the time, there was no money in the sport. It was very much an amateur sport. And I look back and I go, what what would have that done for me? Because I know people that have been to the Olympics, come back, never got back in the pool again. Absolutely right. fell out of love with the sport because there wasn't anything more. It's not it's not like the infrastructure of the sport like it is now. You know. People just I fell out with the sport because there was nothing more for them. It's like, right, well, I've completed it now. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I think, and I, I often say, you know, part of the fact that I didn't make that top absolute elite level is probably what drives me to keep doing it day in, day out with the athletes I work with now. And yeah. I'm grateful for that in a sense. You're, you often find, I think, as well, when you do a lot of sport younger or in a sport younger, or oh, maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience, but I did a lot of cycling when I was younger. And so just a point where, not that I got to any level, but there's a point where you 
you just kind of get sick of it, I guess. And maybe you talk about those Olympic athletes where you're taught it's been all, that's all it's been all your life, and there's a point where yeah. you just kind of walk away. Where obviously you transition quickly into coaching and kept that love for the sport. Where certainly when I look at cycling, I feel like I've loved with that for a long time because of just it was a constant. It was there all the time, I guess. Uh, so changing sure. that tact into coaching, maybe at an earlier stage, uh, helped you keep the love for the sport. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I finished I, fin- I finished university at, at the age of 21 and it came, and I'd actually applied to do a PGCA after me degree, which was to go into um, teaching, because I thought, still didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, but what, the one thing I knew, that I knew that I knew was sport, and I thought, well, I suppose it could be a PE teacher, it's a job for life, you know, it's... There's various things I could be doing. Yeah. So I applied for the uh, applied for the PGCA, and then it was at um, it was at the the the, nas- uh, the national league final for um, swimming, and City of Liverpool were swimming against well, I saw the teams, but City of Liverpool was swimming against City of Salford, and that was that was probably the big main rival then, and the head coach at Salford knew that I was his his top lad's main threat. So he he always said hello and that and we we worked together on G B teams and stuff and he says to me, he says, uh, you finishing union in, in a couple of year, in a couple of months. I said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, Well have you got anything lined up? I said, No, I said I'm I'm gonna do me uh me sec- you know, me secondary teaching, go and do PGCA. He said, um, well we've got a job coming up, do you fancy uh, fancy hearing hearing me out? So, well, I'll hear what you've got to say. Do you know what I mean? I said, "Hang on, coaching for Salford." That was like, yeah, that yeah. was like a Liverpool player going co- <laughs> going coaching at Everton. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It was just like, "Ooh!" I said, "You, you're trying to tear me here." Yeah. He said, "You can have the job on one condition: you let Alex win this on your back." I went, "Fucking forget it." <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, I, I went down, heard what they had to say, and and actually they offered me a full time a full time role for when I finished university okay. so I knew I was coming out into into that role yeah, so right. it was um, like you say it was, I got that on the back of the the back of what I was doing as a swimmer not as you didn't want to see me degree certificates or know what modules I was doing at uni or anything like that it was about what I was doing as an athlete and was that that role all, all swimming orientated or PE in general no it was it was um, I was the assistant swimming coach Okay. And an assistant in the swimming development as well. Okay. So there's like assistant uh, swimming coach, assistant swimming development officer. And that, that role was all one. So there was a little bit of office admin work. Yeah. And then there was the majority of it was coaching. And at that young, because I, I, mean, I suppose a young, not a young age, but youngish to be coaching people, etc. And quite a, I guess, a step to them becoming, I had a similar conversation when we chat to Claire at Netball, kind of that leader role position you're just comfortable in that straight away came you know, yeah do you know what I, I loved it I loved it from day one and I think I was extremely lucky the, the job at Salford um, I started at the, at the bottom with the with the babies you know the ones that are just coming out of swimming lessons and I was very very lucky that I had five five or six really really naturally gifted kids in that group 
and actually as as they progressed i progressed through the coaching yeah, structure with them yeah, yeah. with them so i think looking back the head coach told the day john he knew what he was doing with this because i'd come in as a 21 year old coaching 10 year olds they looked at me like a, a big brother type yeah, figure yeah, yeah. and then i was there for six years so by the time we got I got to the end of my time at Salford. I was still coaching these same group of kids, but we'd had a six-year journey. And we'd had, I think we had seven national medalists in that group. Right. We had two national gold medalists, British gold medalists in that group. And it wasn't even the top group yet yeah, yeah. at Salford. You know, the top group had seven GB internationals in it. So we were doing big things on, a, on, a, on that coaching level. But it, I, I'm, I'm convinced it was because... We had that we had that bond, and because we, I still talk to these kids now. I still see them. You know, they, they drop me messages. One's a lawyer. One's a um, one's a paramedic. One's a doctor. What you know? Yeah. It's it's such a, a, a proud moment to look at some of these some of these guys that I, I worked with at a very very young age. But yeah. I was just from there. I was just in love with the sport and what I could do to give back and and help young athletes achieve or get some of that that benefit that I've had from the sport you know it was like putting back what was it like joining Salford from your uh, old friends at over on the over from Liverpool were they were they kind of not giving you any grief about it or was it sort of tongue-in-cheek banter type of thing yeah no it was it was good it was they were all pleased for me that, that I'd got a that I'd got a, a good job you know, because it was uh, to, to walk into a role like that with no real experience. You know, I, I coached this uni team and I'd done some advanced swimming lessons stuff, but really, as a first job, it was a, it was a big thing to go into that role. So they they were happy for me, but it's not like it's not like football swimming. Swimming, will, yeah, yeah, they'll yeah. have a little a bit of a a bit of a dig and a bit of, a bit of crack with you, but it's not it's not um, a bricky house. <laughs> no, no, not, not quite, not, not quite uh, that far. So, so you finish uh, or you're at Salford, what, uh, between there and what eventually sort of through the, through the guest 20s, I'm not even sure, when did you come to the island? Uh, we've been here, it'll be nine years nine in years, May. Okay. All right, so what happened so, after uh, Salford, uh, just other teaching jobs, was that taking you around the UK? Yeah, yeah, well actually I, I, was, I was still living in Liverpool, I was still living in the house in, in Liverpool because all my mates were there, I was desperately trying to hang on to the university lifestyle so while even though I was working full time I was still going out on the AL three nights a week with with my mates who were probably a couple of years younger than me that were still at uni so I could still go, I could still yeah, legitimately yeah. go in the uni bars <laughs> and that um, you know there's a place on a Monday night that done 70 p pints called oh, the Blue right. Angel or the Raz in town <laughs> and then I'd get I'd get up because I knew I didn't have morning training on the Tuesday, so Monday night was like, oh, oh. they'll come out Monday. <laughs> so, yeah, probably burning the candle at both ends there for a little while, but I did I did five years in Salford, and that really cut my teeth as a as a, as a coach. I won, I won some, um, a Young Coach of the Year award. Oh, right, okay. I got, got some, some nice recognition whilst in that role while still being protected by the fact that I wasn't the head coach, so I wasn't solely responsible for the for the overall view of how the club's um, performing. I was just, the nice bits were associated with yeah, what I yeah. was doing, the yeah. hard work I was putting in, but 
but then the bad bits weren't necessarily aimed at me, so that was that was Perfect. nice. Uh, yeah, it was lovely. And then five years after that, I decided I wanted to go on and be a head coach of my own program. And the job had just come up in in Oldham, which was another another ten minutes north. So it's still it was it was about fifty minutes drive from my house to the Oldham pool. Um, but again. That was nothing because I was doing Salford and back twice a day. So an extra 10, 15 minutes for a, a better, well, I say a better job. A At progression. the time it was. Yeah, yeah progression. progression. It was, a, it was a, a better pay. I was my own boss in, in terms of what I was doing with the club. Um, and yeah, so I, I moved to Oldham and I met my wife there as well. So mm-hmm. my wife was working in the gym, Fazer, Fazer, well, she, when I met her, she was do, she was a gym instructor and a personal trainer in in the centre that I was working at. So that's where we met. I spent about nine months trying to persuade myself to ask her out because I thought there's no way she's going to talk to me. <laughs> and and then when I, when I finally started talking to her, I realised there was a language barrier because she couldn't tell what I was saying. I couldn't tell her what she was saying. I put back to my mate and went, "This isn't going to work." I said, "The lad was living at the time. It's not going to work because we can't understand what each other is saying." <laughs> Sounds perfect. Well, we got there. We got there in the end. Um, so I was, I was in Oldham eighteen months. Then I got, I actually got rung up and asked to ask to apply for the job at City Chester, which um, the the chairman at the time I had swum with his sons, and he'd obviously seen what we were doing at Oldham. He he followed my career, if you will. So when he asked me to apply, I said, "I've only been in Oldham eighteen months. You know, I don't." I've still, I've still got stuff to do here. And he said, well, name name your price. Do you know what I mean? What's All it right. going to take for us to get there? And I was like, wow. I said, this is, that was significant. Um, so having only, I'd, I'd been going out with Faye 10 months maybe by that point. And we were, we, we were, we were serious. Um, and I said, I've been offered a job in Chester. And she said, well, that's, miles away I said yeah well I said it, it is from Oldham I said but we could go back and live in my house in Liverpool and she went are you asking me to move in with you I went well I'm just <laughs> I'm thinking about it logistically more than anything. she went oh alright then well yeah sound so, so that was um, that was how that happened and then within two years from um, coaching in Chester I actually got another call. It was it was almost carbon copy. It was the same call as a dad from Chester saying we'd like you to apply. Coming to the Isle of Man. All right. Um, okay. At the at the time, um, Ian Harrop was a big part of the swimming on the Isle of Man, and I actually swam with his lads in Liverpool. Dane Dane came to came to our squad as a university swimmer. And obviously, I was swimming. I, I was I was a few years younger than Dane. I was probably fourteen when he was eighteen, sort of thing. So then Ian rings me and says, "You know, we've we've got a the jobs come up. Would you would you be interested?" And I'm like, where's I'm the other man? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm 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 ashamed to say I I literally did not know where it was as much as I knew. Oh, we had a lad that swam with us, and we used to say stuff about the other man, and we used to take the piss out of him. <laughs> but it, I thought it, I thought it was down on the bottom with by the Isle of Wight. Yeah. <laughs> so when so when somebody said it's between here and Ireland, that it's only about 
however many miles away. Yeah. I was like, really? I said, so anyway, I, I rings fail. And I said, um, babe, we've got to talk to you about something. <laughs> she went, oh God, what now? I said, um, I said, they've been offered a job. She went, you're fucking joking, aren't you? She said, but we've only just moved here. We, we were, at this point, we were engaged to be married. And we were living in Liverpool. We were getting married at the Crown Plaza, which was about five minutes drive from our house. It was the old Liverpool John Lennon Airport. Yeah. And, yeah, within three months of the wedding, we ended up moving to the Isle of Man. <laughs> so my mum became the wedding planner and she had to do all the, all the, all the right. donkey work on setting, setting the, the, the wedding up. But Had you been I, here I before, came, before you accepted the job? No. Yeah. I, I, I came for the interview and Ian just said to me, he said, just come over and have a look at the place. And I said, all right, yeah. I said, he said, there's two methods of travel. I was like, what? Uh, this was uh, this was blowing me mind. <laughs> there was there was flights or there was boats, and I was thinking, this is crazy. I've never been out of it. I'd hardly been out of Liverpool. I was. I'd always said I was wasn't going to take a job that wasn't within driving distance of my house. And now we're talking about going somewhere you've got to fly or sail to. So I, I, I flew to the Isle of Man from Blackpool on a. Oh, they're not great flights. Yeah. On on a, I think it was a Manx too. Yeah, yeah. But you know, back in them days, yeah, yeah. and honestly, it, it was, it was there was a curtain holding the um, between between me sat on the front row and the pilot. Yeah. But they're pilot telling his mate how drunk he got the night before. <laughs> I thought this isn't going to end well here. I'm not coming back. <laughs> so I, I got to the Isle of Man and I was just blown away. It was. It was February time, I think, or maybe March. It wasn't great weather, but I could tell straight away. I got a little lap of the island, sort of tour, and we got to we got to the sound actually. And it's still this is still my favourite place on the on the Isle of Man is the sound because we got there and I got out the got out the car and I'm having a look around and I went, are they seals down there? Now, kid from Liverpool, you know, it was like being at the zoo. I'm going, oh yeah, that's that's just a normal thing. So I rung, I, rung, I rung my wife there and then I went, babe, I said, you've got to come here. I said, you can't. She was like, oh, we're not moving again. You know, we just moved house once. We're getting married in a few months. I went, babe, once you see it, you'll understand. And she come over and that was, that was deal done. Right. You know, absolutely deal done. And that um, was national, that was a role of, of then national head coach for the island. Yes, yeah. National head coach um, was the was the the job role, but it was right. a self employed um, position. So my actual work permit when I applied for it was swimming consultancy, okay, um, and swim coaching. So that was a, almost a, a blessing, a green light, if you like, from from Alaman Swimming Club or Alaman Swimming Association to to be doing my own private stuff and, and to create a business around it and that was where sort of that was where I started doing my own private thing um, initially I just started out with a few customers clients or whatever the yeah. correct term is I suppose and then before before long it became a, a fully fledged business and that was when Nambi Swimming was born so just to get, just to go back to the the national side when you when you're kind of interviewed and, and talking about coming over here do you have to present them with 
your vision of where you want to take the sport here and how you want to develop it. And I assume there was infra- obviously infrastructure here already, but how to take it onto the next level and so forth. To be honest, the interview process was was a really interesting one. It wasn't anything like I'd, I'd seen in because I'd, I'd almost become I'd almost been become a, a professional interview goer. You know, yeah. over the yeah, last yeah. few years, I'd, I'd had four job interviews in, in four years or whatever. But um, they they were very. It was a, it was a very different way of, of of interviewing. They they were very much about wanting to hear what would I do in in given situation rather than what do I see Isle of Man Swimming Club be. Um, at the time, the, the the two gentlemen, which I'll be I'll be forever grateful to for for giving me the chance, were Clive Parrish and Basil Bielich. Um, oh, right, I work with Basil. Uh, oh, right. Oh, yeah, and, and, yeah, and his, uh, his Clive's daughter works at the same place, the small world. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a very small <laughs> island, isn't it? But um, yes, yeah, so Clive was the was the chair of the association, and Basil was the chair of the swimming club. And between them, they, I, th- I think, they saw a lot of what I was, what it was about in 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 the interview, but the help they gave me actually coming to the island and, and understanding the, the island life, I'd have been absolutely lost without those guys, you know, and, and there are a lot of people that have helped us both along the way on our Isle of Man journey, but those guys initially, you know, are still, as much as, you know, neither of them are involved directly with swimming anymore, uh, I'll still catch up and go for coffee and they still all, they want to know what we're doing and, uh, I, I find it quite amusing. I still remind Clive. He, he sent me a, a list of the um, the island records at the time. He said, "We've just had our island champs, and these are these are the the island records. See what you think." And I looked at them, and I was going, mm, "There was there was about three names on the sheet. There was a, a girl called Olivia Rawlinson. There was Charlotte Atkinson, who was who was just coming onto the scene then and just broken a load of records. There was Laura Kinley." held every breaststroke record there was. And on the men's side, there was Grant Halsall, who was a, a, a I knew Grant because I'd worked with him on GB programs. And other than that, there was, there was, there was hardly anyone else on the list. And it was just like, are these the only swimmers? Have you only, how many swimmers have you got? Are these the only ones here? Um, and he said to me, he said, oh, don't worry about those records because nobody will ever go as far, on the men's side, nobody will ever be as fast as Grant. So don't worry about them. And now I look back and I still remind them of them and go, when I first come here, now you look at that sheet and the, the progression in, in the times and stuff, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, on yeah. a percentage level, the, 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 the drops have been, have been amazing, been crazy, really. So when you get that position, what would your typical day or week look like? Um, well, my, my typical week in, in Ironman swimming world, we do Monday morning before school. That's 5.30 till 7. Monday night is 7 till, sorry, 7.30 till 9 in the evening, the NSC. Tuesday nights at Peel, we go uh, an hour and a half there, 5.30 till 6. We do Wednesday mornings, Thursday night, double on a Friday, and then Saturday morning. 
So it's very much, it, it was almost the perfect uh, structure to be able to build a, build a business in the middle. Yeah. You know, and that was, like you say, that was, I was given the, the, the green light from day one to do that. It was almost that you're going to have to create. I, I thought I was coming as a swimming coach yeah. to, to just coach the club. And then actually when it turned into, it's going to have to be a business, we're going to have to, that was when it, it, it became, it became serious, you know, and um, like I say, there's, there's, there's a lot of admin stuff that goes on during the day behind the scenes, probably do. I mean, my wife would tell you I'm on call 20, 24 hours of the day, like, but um, there's a lot, there's a lot of admin, there's a lot of planning. Um, and there's there's a lot of sort of meetings and you know meeting with yeah. sponsors, Ironman Sports, all of those sort of those that sort of link work, you know, where with the development officer, that sort of that sort of work is is all part of that. But like I say, it's still I'm in a great position that I can do both. Yeah, and so it's, it's, I've been very lucky to fortunate to, to be in that position. So your own your own nine beats. That's you obviously take on private clients, teach from the basics, I guess, to people right at the top end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it started. Um, it started as a couple of a couple of private private lessons, and then sort of word, word got out that that I was doing this, and then a few, and somebody else said, "Well, I'd like to be coached by you. I'm doing this or I'm doing." And, and before you know it, sort of weight gets out and, and it snowballed. And we're at a point now where, you know, I have to I have to be careful not to take on too much work because mm-hmm. just just to find that work life balance. Because otherwise, I could be I could I could be working all all day every day and work myself into the floor. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but no, I, I I think one thing that people think about now, they think, oh well, it's only for the the real high level. Uh, perform it's performance coaching, and do you know what? Some of it is, and some of it is um, definitely, you know, teaching people to swim. I've I've got private clients from the age of eight and nine through to one client who's in his who's, who's approaching his eighties, right? And and everything in between, and that's what that's what I love about this place that there are just everybody wants. Everybody wants to be active. Everyone, everybody wants to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's almost it's almost nice that there isn't much else happening on the island, man. That activity is is the seems to be the only way out. We haven't got loads of shops and pitches and bowling and all the sorts of stuff that you'd see the the kids in the UK doing. So activity, everyone does something on an activity level. If you yeah. find me someone on the Isle of Man and say, what exercise you do? Say, oh, we don't do anything. They, they'd be the weird ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in the UK, you, if you say, I'm going out on my bike for two hours, they look at you like you've got three heads. <laughs> you know? Well, sorry, definitely not going out for three hours on my bike at the moment. Because <laughs> we're on the yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, because obviously we're down and, and locked down at the moment in regard to tr- trying to swim, you know, that's uh, I saw a video a couple of days ago of a, a high level swimmer somewhere, and she got into her pool and garden and put like a rope around her, around her, her waist and was, I guess, held back so she could just practice the technique. Uh, there's not much you can do really, is there, with swimming other than maybe a bit of sea swimming, I guess. But 
I'm not sure no, what government would like you out there either because they probably don't want to waste resources dragging your ass out of there if you get into trouble. That's that's exactly it. I mean, one of my uh, my my assistant coach, um, Sheila Parnell, she's big into um, open water swimming. She swam the channel a couple of years ago and right. those sort of things. And she actually lives on behind King Bills, and her daily routine used to be out the front door, over the road, and yeah. into the sea. And you know, she was saying, people were saying, well, why don't you just do that? So, well, you can't do that because. You see one person there before you know it. The beaches will be full, yeah. and it's and it's it's not one of the three things you're allowed to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're 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 doing what we can to keep the to keep the athletes busy. You know, Alaman swimmers have have suddenly discovered yoga <laughs> because because a there's loads of yoga videos online <laughs> for me to for me to chuck at them. And myself and my wife have been. Um, been developing, you know, land strength and conditioning videos that we've been putting out to. Now, I know it's one of those where there's every every man and his dog's doing a, a workout video now. You know, Tyson Fury's doing them. I mean, you could get you could get it from anywhere in the world. You could you could find these videos from. But actually, to be doing stuff which we want them to be doing, which we know is going to be relevant to when we're getting back in the water, I think yeah. is it. Is, is is an underrated um, opportunity that, that we can be putting the work out for these athletes. And we're also doing educational stuff as well. Huh. You know, putting out putting out articles for them to be reading on nutrition and lifestyle stuff and all that, yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, just keep, just keeping the, the club together, really. Yeah, and it keeps the mind ticking over as well, even if, I've, again, I've seen bits where, in fact, a friend of mine showed me stuff before where you can lie on like a, it's not meant th- those kind of yoga balls and then attached uh, like strengthening bands to the wall and then kind of practice your strokes sat on the sat on the ball and it's just again small things but I guess it's part of that's just about keeping the mind ticking over isn't it and feeling not like you just sat doing nothing I think so I think it, for, for me it's more about keeping them busy and keeping them in love with the sport yeah. keeping them I, I said to when, when we sat down when when we sort of we got the word, we got the whisper that it was going to, the pools were going to start closing and we were going to have to think. I said, the one thing we want them to do is not go away and feel like, actually, I don't miss it. Yeah. That, that's, the, that's the scary thing for me as a coach is athletes not missing their sport. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think there's, there's, a, there's a balance there. Now, not everybody wants to do something every day. Not everybody wants to do at the at the given time in the in in the day or in the program, some of them have got other things on. Some of them are still schooling at this at this stage yeah, as well. You know? yeah. So it's it it's just about keeping them keeping them busy and keeping it fun, keeping it different. Yeah, and you keeping engaged as the national coach engage with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let let them know that it's almost more important to let them know that we're we're thinking about them and we care. Yeah. Than it is what what work they're going to do because they are going to lose a bit of fitness, but fitness comes back. Yeah. You know, and if you can be doing things which will help that process be easier when it when it when time comes when they say right, right lads we're back in. Yeah. You know, as long as they're doing, as long as they're keeping on top of their 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 strength, their their core work, whatever it might be, to allow them to keep. Um, 
be able to get hit the road running if you yeah, will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just min- minimising the impact. So when they hit the pool again, it's yeah, yeah. Everyone's going to everyone's going to have the edge taken off them, aren't they? But uh, just trying to minimise that. So, so when you're training personally, training say an, an Ironman athlete to a triathlete to someone who does you know 400 meters, obviously the ultimate one's very endurance. Do techniques change within that? that process do you you know perhaps for for longer distance you try and i don't know but slow the stroke down so it's more more efficient i guess maybe because it's going for longer or do you know i think it depends on the athlete i think it a depends on depends on the 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 background what what they've come from you know i've I've, i coach i coach three people that are doing ironman at the moment and they're all they're almost extremes on the if they could be a chart of this type of body shape this type of body shape and that type of body shape you know and everybody needs something different right. I know you spoke to to George um, George Blackwell um, a little while back and obviously I, I, I work with George on his, on his swimming and because he's so heavily muscled I, we, we need to the the ballot the, the the challenge is to keep them on top of the water. Whereas yeah. somebody who can sit well in the water, then that's about bringing the, the stroke rate down. Whereas someone like, um, you know, I've got a I've got a, a triathlete called uh, John McGowan. Yeah, um, yeah. He he's very very light, so he sits nicely in the water anyway. So actually, he works much better at a higher rate. So just keeping the, the, the arm stroke ticking over. Yeah, yeah. Um, even even a question about things like, you know, should I kick or not? Say, so, well, it depends how good your kick is. If you're using your leg kick and it's you, you're burning energy like it's going out of fashion and it's not making you much faster, then yeah. stop it. You don't need to. That's but, the one, one thing I found when I started to learn to swim at the end of last year was, uh, again, I assume as a cyclist, I'd have a strong kick, but as my mate told me whether, whether he's, you know, right necessarily I guess he is it's the legs are the biggest muscle in the body so if you kick endlessly you just you, know, you need to slow slow that kick down because it's just you're just going to run out of, you know run out of breath which you know I was basically doing after a length or two but kicking too yeah. so it's just learning to kind of float a kick I think was the, his terms he used with me sure I mean what, what you've also got to remember is especially in in, in I am it's not so much in, in the the pool-based swims. So I know there are triathlons where you're actually in the pool for the swim. Yeah. And that is basically an up and down, follow the blue line. You're not really going to have to worry about changing yeah, the where you're going. Yeah, it's so a directional that's thing. Good stuff. But when you're when you're in the open water, there might be a point where you're approaching a you're approaching a boy, you're approaching a turn, and you're in a pack. And you know, as you get to that boy, everyone's just going to go over the top. You know, if you've got no change in pace. Oh, right, okay. There's nothing you can do about it. You're going to get. So if you can turn that kick on and it's going to make you faster and you can give me a burst of, let's say, a 10-meter in or a 10-meter out of that turn, then you're in safe water then. Or, or exiting the swim, you know, you've got to climb out. I've seen that so many times where there's 20, 30 people trying to get out at once and they're climbing over each other. You know, grabbing the back of the wetsuit and goggles and hats come off and everything. And you think if you add that little bit of a burst, of pa- uh, that burst of speed to clear the pack to get out in open, in fresh water, you're away from all of that. Yeah, and like yeah. I say, it's it's there's different parts to the swim. There's there's the there's the long and steady stuff. But actually, if to have the fast stuff as part of your 
a weapon in your arsenal, let's say, that makes such a difference to how you'll survive the swim. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, absolutely. So, first of all, I apologise now. I haven't set up my Zoom in the garden thinking it was the greatest idea ever. My neighbour's now mowing his lawn, so apologies if, if, if listeners can hear that. I'll try and mute when I'm not talking. Uh, so, so, just then going back to the question around, obviously, for the Ireland and representing the Ireland over those years, or being the coach over the last, or being involved for the last nine or ten years, gone to Commonwealth Games, so yeah, I presume a lot of Ireland games as well. So talk about maybe two of the kind of highlights of, of those for yourself. Wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, Commonwealth, the, I've I've been to I was at Glasgow Commonwealth Games and the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. The Commonwealth Games was an absolute. It was just like nothing. Like, I, I, there aren't even the words to explain what an amazing experience. Um, and, and can I ask then, just out of interest then, not to put you on the spot, but that going back to your tracksuit comment earlier, is do you find that similar now with the Isle of Man when you get that opportunity to, I mean, both Matty and I have represented the Isle of Man and probably not, my memory's so poor, but I do remember having the kit and think, being proud, that same proud moment again that maybe Mark talks about, maybe at a different level to an all black, but that same same pride, do you still get that as a, as a coach? I do, you know, because it, it's, well, for me, but it's also... For my for my athletes for my guys, and 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 like you say, that also it comes at different stages. Like because swimming is a is a time based qualification system. So if you've got to hit the qualifying time, to, but if you get the qualifying time, you pretty much know you you're on your way. Or that's how it's been in, in previous games. If you get the if you get that qualifying standard, so you'll see an athlete actually swim the time they needed to go to get to the games, and it's like. They know that they're pretty much they've got one foot on the plane. By then, that's an amazing experience, an amazing feeling because you've helped them do that. You've assisted, and it's it is it's a it's a joint venture. This you know we've the, the, the planning and all that. But myself, when I when I put an Ireland match actually on, no one we're going to a Commonwealth Games or the best the best anecdotal um, story I can give you is. At Ireland Games, um, I'd like to think we might we might be in this position one day at, at the Commonwealth Games. But at Ireland Games, when one of our athletes wins, we have to sing the national anthem. And I remember the first time that happens. It was in Bermuda. I'd only been on the island about two months, and then they said, "Oh, uh, you're going to have to spend two weeks in Bermuda." Though. What a terrible shame! <laughs> that is. And, and, I, and, I, and I got to the Bermuda Games, and, and uh, you know it was great. It was it was all very it was all very oh this is this is good and this is nice and I'm and I'm on my holidays and then um, one of our athletes I think it was Grant Alsall actually won and um, the team manager at the time Lainey Cool um, come running round the poolside to me to the to the coaching area and stuffs a piece of paper in my hand. And I looked at it and thought, what's this? She said, that's the words to the national anthem. And I went, what do you mean? <laughs> she said, you've got, you've, got to, you've got to sing. And I went, are you kidding? I said, it, was, it, it reminded me when I went to church as a kid. And you've got the words and you can hear the tune, but you don't know how the words fit the tune. I didn't have a clue. It was, it must have, if, if anyone had filmed me singing it, it must have been horrendous. But what an experience that was. And now... I know the words off by heart. 
I remember in, in Gibraltar, the last gold medal that swimming won to win the overall competition, it was the last relay of the Games. And one of our lads, Alex, who was the captain of the team, his mum is, is an incredible singer. And we actually got her off the balcony down to to sing the national anthem over the mic. Oh wow! Oh my! There was I was crying. I I was I was literally bawling. It was a, it was beautiful. But yeah, so there's been some really proud proud moments for 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 a number of reasons on a coaching level, on a for for my athletes and also for for the nation. I feel like I'm. You know, I never thought when I got here that I could feel this passionate about somewhere other than England and other than Liverpool. But you know what? I can't, I can't imagine it being any other way now. Yeah, it is very, uh, I mean, the island is very, I'm seeing, I suppose, more than ever now with what's going on, that community feel. About yeah. It. It's, it's nice, to have, nice to have it even more ramped up than it normally is. So I've got a, a few general kind of, we, we touch on psychology quite a bit in, in, in the podcast, generally around sport and something I was reading online uh, that I think it was on the Isle of Man swimming about uh, when, in, certainly in swimming, when, when, you, when the pain kicks in and you, and you want to give up, that I think it might be, I think it was a quote from yourself, it talks about your, your tank not necessarily being empty and therefore keep pushing through that pain. Uh, so it goes back something to when we were chatting to Sam Murphy, which I think it might be an off air or, or, or before, but he's also talks about when you're doing uh, doing training, and I, I applied it to, again to cycling, where you might do five intervals of five minutes, and it's that last interval where you go harder, and uh, you know your heart rate ends up higher than any other intervals, and your kind of instinct is, well, it's because it's the fifth one, and I'm tired than I was when I started. But he, I think he talks about it and he, he gave it a name where, where basically you've been holding back on the other intervals. Uh, and, and again, the psychology around that. So I just, when I read that quote, or that, yeah, that quote by yourself about just sort of pushing through that pain barrier, is that, is that something I guess common in, in swimming? Not, not common enough from a coach's perspective as a swimmer, probably too common. <laughs> um, I, 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 understand, I understand why people, it's not human to want to hurt it's not it's not the way we're, it's not the way we're made it's not the way and I always say to my athletes how in a, in a race are you going to know what too hard is unless you've been too hard in training we don't we don't want to get to the race day and go out too hard and blow up and I'm sure you guys have been in races like that yourselves where you put too much in at the front end and you think I'm not going to finish this you know I'm, I'm not going to so much out of lifeguard sort of thing I get that, but I don't think it's. I don't think it's a case of you're not going, you're not going too hard, or you're not, um, you've not gone out hard enough. I think it's just a case of, like you say, it is more psychology on a convincing yourself that doesn't. You know, I have I have a one of my stock phrases. My swimmers are laughing as I say this, but PBs don't air for long. And you know, if you if you cross that line, and and it doesn't matter how much it's hurting. I knew when I was racing, the last fifteen meters, I wouldn't be able to feel my arms, but I fucking knew they were spinning. Do you know what I mean? Because I knew that I had to get my hand on that wall, and that was all that mattered. Even though I couldn't feel it because it hurt that much. You look at that wall, and it says number one. You forget it's sore. 
you forget how how much that hurt. You remember you remember the next day. Yeah. You know when you can't get when you can't get out of bed. And yeah, like yeah. But, but at the same time, we we do a lot of training around that, and I think that was the difference when I came to the Isle of Man. The Isle of Man's training systems before Lee Holland were very much about meters. They were very much about doing gradual improvements, and every time you go in and race, you might you might swim a hundredth of a second PB, but you'd swim a PB every time you went. And then we started to change that. So there would be times in the season where we don't need them fast, where we don't need to be swimming PBs and breaking records. And they would be absolutely broken because we'd gone so hard and so much quality. But then actually when you rest them up out the other side of that, there was bigger. So they were, they were, they were knocking huge lumps off PB, PB times and, and, and records. And, we, and we, we do that in training. You know, yeah. we, we say... Number one is everything you've got. And then number two, uh, swim number two is hang on and the rest of them. And we'll do, we do a set of nine lots of 50 meters where it's only 50 meters at a time. The first three, you get two and a half minutes rest and you go everything you've got absolutely balls out to kill these first three fifties and produce as much lactate as possible, as much lactic acid as you can. And then the next day, I said, I'm not going to time these because the times don't matter anymore because if you've done the first bit hard enough, these times are going to drop off so badly, but it's about learning and, and teaching your body how to, how to keep yeah, going, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll write little notes next to the So the first three say, no crying. The middle three will say, you're probably crying. And the last three said, why aren't you crying, you know? <laughs> try not to be sick, you know, that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. But, but like you say, it, it, it is. It's, it's, a, it's more psychological than, than physical. You, you let don't give up a thousand times before your body oh, does. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. So uh, what's the, uh, when you're looking at swimmers, and I guess it might vary, but what's the kind of peak age for... for Certainly, Olympic level type athletes, and does it are they different for men and women? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think that's changing as as we're as we're moving on, and sports science is getting better. You know, we're we're not just looking at mileage on on the bodies making the best athletes anymore. We're looking at who's doing the right things, who's doing the right lifestyle, um, making the right lifestyle choices, and and training well with the right sports science back up and all that sort of thing. So it is getting later, but we're still seeing the, the females sort of late teens, early 20s being where they're really coming into their own and, you know, going up to about 25. And I'd say that the men are probably about four or five years later than that. So the men are going in and sort of coming onto the scene at early 20s, 23, 24, and swimming up to probably the age of 30 maybe a little bit longer than that and obviously there's there's exceptions to that rule but that seems to be the way the trend's going it's getting later and I would definitely put that down to the fact that there's not as much mileage on the bodies you know it used to be a case that if you were doing 70 80,000 metres a week in the pool you know people would get to 21 and they'd be going do you know what I don't need this no more my me, me shoulders are both knackered yeah, yeah. my hips and knees are knackered mentally I don't want I don't want to do this no more and yeah. that then 
that that's where I think that the sport's changing now. You know, it, it is a fine balance again when we talk. Keith Gerrard, he talked about towards the end of his career that you know injuries from running was just more and more common because of the you know he he believes just a pound and year on year. Not saying he did. He never said he did too much, but ultimately it's an impact. You know, whatever sport you're doing, it, it takes its impact. So if you can minimise the impact, well, without trying to lose too much quality, then it kind of makes sense, doesn't? Then you're going to recover quicker, which means next time you train, you're going to be training more effectively and efficiently. And it's kind of it seems like a. I suppose that's why people get into the overtraining issue of doing too much and then going tired, and then training becomes more less productive, and the circle goes the other way. Yeah, I think so. I think. I think there's the there's the the, the fact that I, I think that's the reason why the times are moving forward as well. I mean, you, I, I find it I'm a a bit of a nerd when it comes to swimming times. I can I can recall you know time, what what the hundred backstroke was won in at the 2000 Olympics as opposed to 2004, and the way that those those times have progressed. Whereas now you look at the times that the, the swimmers on the Isle of Man are swimming, they they would have been you know, that would have been, and we laugh about it and go, that would have been an Olympic final in 1986, would have been yeah. an Olympic medal in 1976, or yeah. whatever whatever it might have been, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think it's the, I do think it's the, the sports science um, is, is playing a much bigger part in, in making making sure people are doing the right stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that overtraining is a big part of it in, in, in every aspect, but certainly the, the open water and the try guys, uh, Ironman athletes, that sort of that sort of thing. The people think they just want to go in and just batter it. You yeah, know, yeah. And it's like actually no, you'd be better off going in and doing small chunks of really really good technical stuff to teach your body the right way you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Not just practicing bad habits over and over and over again. Yeah, especially in those distance sports where endurance and. Not only they're doing that that hard swim session, they're then going out on the bike or then going for a run, and uh, yeah, sure. it's, it's a fine part. So I meant just to go back. So I meant to be I mean to ask this a couple of times. The nine beats, the name is that the nine beats is that some kind of swimming? Yeah, it's a, it's it's it derives from a, a swimming term around the leg kick. A, a leg kick when you're absolutely kicking like mad. We call in swimming we call that a six beat kick. It's, it's supposed to be six kicks to one arm cycle. So from the right hand entering to the right arm, going through the full cycle and entering again. Yeah. If you can get six kicks in within that stroke cycle, that is what's considered the the, the, the most kicking you can do. Okay. Some, some would argue maybe you could get up to eight, some of the best kickers in the world. But that's a, it's a sort of a, an accepted term. I want a six-beat kick on this set. And uh, when it comes to the Isle of Man, I cracked a joke when I first came. I went, well, you lot, I suppose, I asked for a six-beat kick, and I said, well, I suppose you lot should be nine, shouldn't you, because you've got three legs. Like. <laughs> and, and do you know what? I thought it was hysterical. I was absolutely <laughs> killing myself. Like, I'm, I'm my, my biggest fan when it comes to my stand-up comedy. Like, and the swimmers all just went like that. Oh, like, just like, oh, like, that's like a proper dad joke. But it stuck. All right. And I thought, I said, do you know what? That's I'm going it. with that. Yeah. That that's yeah, what yeah, that's yeah. what we'll have, and and they were, at the time the swimmers couldn't believe that I'd chosen nine beat as a <laughs> as a name, but actually it tickled me that much, and they, they, they were they were like, I can't believe you're laughing at your own joke this much. Like, well, you know, <laughs> and now you need so to come after it. It stuck from that. So, yeah. So, yeah. So important questions following on from that, and important subjects. So uh, Olympics, Commonwealth, do they have lifeguards around the pool while these events are going on? 
<laughs> they do. Do they? they do. Right, and, okay. Uh, I, I quite often get tagged in a, a meme on Facebook and it's, you think your life's, your life's not going anywhere. Just imagine being a lifeguard at the Olympics. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But, but actually, at the, at the Commonwealth Games in, in Gold Coast, we actually got talking to, the, we had a lifeguard at each of the stations and, and we got quite friendly with them. And it's, it's such a big, especially in nations like Australia, they, they, they do so much. They run the centres, and they were they were a big yeah. part in the actual running of the yeah, yeah. of the uh, of the competition. Yeah, right. Yeah, but okay. yeah, they do they do have life. Although they, I've never seen a lifeguard have to get in at, at a competition like that. Yeah. I've seen a few at like Manx Youth Games where the kids got halfway and swallowed some water and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably me. That would be. <laughs> and then the other one was uh, I'm still surprised like Phelps hasn't come out with like a, 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 a headphone range because every time the swimmers come out for competitions they're always wearing big headphones I assume there's some something behind that do you know just getting in the zone it's it's just a, a getting in the zone and the thing is with with swimming I, I'd liken it to you know when you see the football team waiting to come out and they're in the tunnel and they're stood next to one another and you see them dead dead focus dead ahead don't look at the other player because then he's got he's getting in your head well before a swimming race you'll sit in a call room and you basically all sat in that room and there's the, you see every different um style of of personality like Chad Leclerc the the, the South African fly swimmer who, who, who famously beat Phelps in the 200 fly he's a real extrovert and he talks to everyone and he's whether or not he's chatting shit or he's just he's just like hey what's you have for your breakfast yeah yeah and then there's other guys that are just like no i just want to be in my own space so i've got my earphones i can shut my eyes and i can go through the race whatever it needs to be i think it's it's like when you're at the gym if you wear the little headphones that go in your ears people still come talking to you People yeah, yeah. that it, and it does my head in because I'm like I'm listening to my music here. Whereas if you've got them great big headphones on, it's like you can't hear me, so I won't bother. Yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I think that's what it is. But they've all got. I mean, I know I know a few of the the big names. They've all they've all got uh, big brand sponsors on on the headphones. Uh -huh. yeah, so yeah, yeah. whether it's Bose or whether it's Beats or whoever it is, they're, they're all uh, they're all using. I don't think they're using their favourite brand. They're using the ones that they're told to yeah, wear. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just something I always notice. They're always got the, uh, yeah. the headphones on. And the, yeah, but like you say, it's getting into their space, their headspace, isn't it? Sure, sure. So on the island, people want to get involved in, pretty sure, perhaps not right now with swimming, uh, with anything. Uh, but how do people get in? How will best people, you know, whether they've got kids who want to get involved in or they're a bit old and they want to start learning to swim or getting involved, clubs, etc. How's all, where's the places to go and get information and... Well, what I'd say first, the, the, the way people normally come, come, to, come to me as Isle of Man's head coach, they would come through the, the local clubs on a, on a normal day. They will be a, a member of one of the four feeder clubs, i.e. Uh, Douglas Swimming Club, Southern Swimming Club, Ramsey and Swimming Club or Peel Swimming Club. Um, and the, the coach, I work closely with the coaches of each of those clubs and they'll say, I've got a talented nine-year-old who's doing this, this, and this. Can you come and have a look at them? Um, that's that's one way. Um, so I'd say if you're already part of a swimming club, 
speak to your coach. Yeah. But I, w- I would guess that the coaches are already monitoring that sort of those mm. those athletes that they're earmarking for, for for moving on. If you wanted to get into the sport, I would say that's the best way of of getting in touch. Going being to going to the club because you have to be part of the club to 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 go through one of those four pillars into into Isle of Man swimming. Yeah, but yeah. one thing we're, we're looking at doing this season, and obviously we've been scuppered with the uh, with the coronavirus, but we're actually looking at getting out into the schools and and doing a bit of talent spotting. Um, when I was at, when I was at Salford, I worked with um, a program which the Redgrave was running uh, to to find the nation's next rowers, and they went in all of the inner city schools and found the long. The, Basically, I would have been perfect for it, but it was 10 years too late. The big kids with the long arms, long legs. And I had, I had a cracking kid. She was 12 and she was nearly six foot tall. Wow. And I was looking at this kid going, this, this girl is going to be very, very a very good swimmer. Um, and Steve Redgrave come in and he'd actually highlighted her as this potential amazing rower. Um and he, he came to me personally and said, look, I understand this girl's a good swimmer. He said, but I think she's got the potential to be an Olympian. Well, well, I said, I said, do you know what? I said, if that's the case, I said, then you have it. I said, because if we've done what we, and he said, you've done a lot of work towards this in terms of helping her with her aerobic capacity and, and turning her into an athlete. So we said, I want you guys, and not, not me, not just me personally, I mean, City of Shelton Swimming Club at the time, he put a big uh, thank you in the, in the paper about the, the swimmers that had, he turned into rowers. That girl's got an Olympic gold medal now. All right, wow. So wow. We, we've talked about this and we're, we're actually looking, we're going to look at doing something similar on a highlighting and offering opportunities to a set of uh, school children with, with all the weapons. Yeah, the right and attributes. See if yeah. there's any, if there's, a, if there's an, a, an extra way into the sport you know because you look at the Isle of Man they do grow and big over there yeah, you know yeah. I've got I've got six I've got six lads in my top squad that are over six and a half foot yeah, yeah, yeah. you know there, there's some really really big strong kids I think it's the fresh air you know <laughs> I, I stand around and I have to stand up straight because some of these guys are so big I think God what we're, we're missing out and we're, yeah, yeah. there's still such an untapped resource in, in, in that so like you say, that's something when we're uh, when the pools are open and the school swimming's back on, we're uh, yeah. going to jump on that as well. Okay, cool. Do you have any more, Matty? You want to cover off? Um, yeah, um, couple. Do you feel more nervous as a competitor, or now you're coaching for your for your uh, squad when you see them line as, up as a coach? Uh, and and this this is this is a conversation I've had a million times. When I go away to race, when we go to away to race at a weekend, when I was a swimmer, I had to worry about three races. You know, three three races at a at a full stretch of the weekend. This time, if I, I can take 30, 40 swimmers away to a competition, if they all do, if they all do five races, that's two hundred races, and every one of them races, I'm in there with them. I'm mm. jumping up and down. I'm I'm that coach, you know, the embarrassing one that's jumping up and down, shouting and screaming, and everyone else. Oh God, he's at it again. I can't help it. You know that that's that's the way I am. I, we've actually we've actually looked at 
measuring my heart rate when my athletes are swimming. <laughs> and it's nearly, as, it's nearly as high as theirs are, you know. But yeah, that's... I, I see that as a real, as a real, um, it's a, it's a positive, it's a, it's a treat for me to be able to, I can go away now, I can go away and swim 100 PBs in a weekend. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because every one of those athletes, we've played a part in that. And that's no. something, that's something special, but yeah, I do, I get so nervous yeah. for them on, on the big, on the big stage because I, I want them to, I want them to achieve their potential, you know? And that's a kind of follow-on question of there is in terms of the style is that you're very much happy to go through those emotions. You're not to um, teach and let them do what they want. You want to be involved and go through those emotions and the good and the bad with them in that sense. You think you, I guess you feel that's from your philosophy of how you should be coaching in that sense, not a, I'll tell them how to do it. It's up to them to kind of do. And if they win, great. If they don't, okay, that's what happens. Or from what I gather with you, it's very much, you know, if if they win, you win. And if they don't, you also don't sort of think as well, which kind of shapes how you approach certain people in that sense, I guess. Yeah, I think that's, it's, that's, a, that's a really tough question because... There's, there's what my heart says and what my head says, and what I should be telling you is, I should be letting them do it because it's all, you know, it's only a job, and I, I, I could tell myself that a hundred times a day, every day. I'll never ever get away from that because you can't do this as only a job. You are, you are psychologically, emotionally invested in in this sport, in these athletes. We've worked too fucking hard for it not to be. Do you know what? Excuse me. I'm sorry. You 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 put too much in on on every level, and I I, I look at these. I mean, we've we've not got kids, but I look at these young people like they're my. I, I I like to tell myself I'm not quite old enough to be their dad, but I, I really am. Uh, but I like to see it as like a big brother role and protecting them and making sure that they're all right. And there's a lot of that on a on a sort of a. A, men, a mental well-being and a mental health level that I'm dealing with athletes that when things are going great, they're great. But actually, do you know what? Overall, I want to know that they're okay. And winning doesn't always, doesn't happen every day. Improvement can, and, and doing things well can, but it doesn't always mean you're going to win because you might just end up next to the, the lane next to the world record all day, you know? And it's, it's being mindful of that. And whilst, of course, we want them to win because I want that for them. Mm. I think part that, that, that old saying of, I can't want it for you more than you want it for yourself. But I, I do have to take a step back most days at some point and go, actually, I need to, 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 to rein this in a little bit because if I let my emotion run away with me, I'd end up, well, I'd end up in a, a, a dribbling mess in the corner, I think. <laughs> yeah, that well-being of athletes is, I'm sure, coming more and more into sort of your roles of, certainly over the last 10, 15 years, so much more part of, part of that role. Yeah, I mean, working with, working with teenagers is frightening at the best of times, but like you say, that you're not, you're not just a swimming coach, you know, you know, 
a mentor, you're a teacher, you're a counsellor, you know, and, and that, that can be, it can be swimming related, it can be non-swimming related, it can be, Lee, I'm really upset about me swim at the weekend, all the way through to Lee, my girlfriend's finished with me, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, and all, all all of those different parts, it's it's part of working with young people. Uh, and like you say, it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough role to do, but at uh, the same time, it's a lovely role to have, and it's a it's a privilege to be able to work with young people and be able to shape young people. And that's why you know I said earlier about I've got a, a lad who's now training to be a lawyer. I've got you know, paramedics and doctors and stuff, people that I've spent time with that are now qualified in, they're changing, they're changing. And in, in, in this time, in this last few weeks alone, these kids are changing the world. Yeah, yeah. And they'll, they'll ring you up and say, do you know what? You What what we did together as an 11 and 12, you know, taught me the discipline yeah, to yeah. move this forward or taught me time management or, or whatever it might be. I still look back and go, actually, Stuff I learned in the pool about how to train, or I thought I was learning about how to train and how to swim fast. I was actually teaching myself life, or, or being taught life skills, respect, discipline, all of those things. It's a it's a lovely position to be in, but at the same time, it comes with it can be very challenging and 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 trying to trying to guide these young people through a, a bloody scary time, really. Yeah, yeah, you know, teenage yeah. years anyway. Are just I don't I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pay as much as we all wish oh, I wish I was younger I wouldn't go back to them days yeah. it was a nightmare yeah yeah, you know? yeah it's a really interesting point actually you made there about those life skills and what you learn out of sport it's uh, mm. it's so true and often easily forgotten as well I think sure cool well thanks for your time today it's been a uh, very insightful. Oh, from, thank you for thank you for having me on. Our pleasure. From a, from being a Manxy myself, maybe Manx Manx, I think I am. Uh, we appreciate the comeovers that help develop our sport on the Isle of Man and, and become one of ours. Uh, so yeah, so thanks and like I say, thanks for your, for, for advice today as well. I think that will help help some of the listeners out as well. If got if people want to reach out, appreciate National Coach Club. Obviously, you've got your own coaching. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Oh, easiest way is. Um, Email, you know, okay. n- n- number nine, beat swimming, okay, at gmail, gmail.com or Facebook. We've got a, a, an IMB page, or you can just get me via um, my own my own Facebook. People get, okay. get in touch with me anyway. Or just shout at me at a pool somewhere and go, Hey, you, <laughs> you can't the scouts of the pool with 190 heart rate. You're looking for him, yeah, yeah. The fella jumping up and down at the end of the pool, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Telling his nine beat jokes to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Right. Thanks again. Appreciate your time. Mate. Thank you. Thank you. Nice out. Yeah. So wherever you're listening or hopefully watching us today, uh, like, subscribe, share, and leave those five star reviews, pretty please. Social media on Facebook, the N Word Podcast, Twitter, Max Sports Pod, and on Instagram, we are the N Word IOM. Thanks again for listening. Letting us get into your ears. It's word out from on. Word out from that.